Beautiful Anonymous is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello to everybody who accidentally bought a rooster. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call. No names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi everybody, Chris Gathard here. I know not everybody loves the long intro. This one I'm going to estimate, I didn't time it, probably 10 to 12 minutes of intro. Anyway, skip ahead to that if you just want the phone call. Please consider beautifulanonymous.com if you're looking for more content. Thanks so much. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. I feel so lucky to be here. I feel so lucky to be doing this. And the the phone call that you're about to hear is one that I think you're all going to feel lucky to hear as well. This one was a great reminder to me of the early days of the show where things were manic and unpredictable and where I never knew quite where it was going and where we have now recorded it. And I'm still not always certain of where it went. Uh, before I get into any of that, I have to say, first of all, a huge thank you to everybody in Brooklyn who came out to Littlefield on Saturday. I did a benefit show for the mental health education nonprofit that I work for now, Wellness Together, helping me build the program, Laughing Together, Gary Gallman, Claire O'Kane, Christy Summers, Business Casual, and we packed that place out. Thank you all so much for helping. And if you want to uh, see me live, we got, first of all, I'll be in Vancouver doing stand-up on the 15th of February. And then March 1st, we'll be back at Littlefield doing another Laughing Together benefit, raising money for mental health services in schools with Joe Perra, Joyelle Nicole Johnson, Kenise Mobley, Kate Nichols, all kinds of good stuff. And a beautiful anonymous taping March 23rd in Boise. All kinds of great things happening. Thanks to everybody who supports and buys tickets and comes out to see things on the road. Um, what else do I want to tell you in this intro? I don't think we need to make this one a particularly long one. Oh, I should also say, of course, thanks to everybody who listened to the audio excerpt from the audiobook of my new piece, Dad at Peace. Um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, everand.com, you can go sign up for 30 days for free right now. If you go to my social media, I think there's a link for 60 days for free. I've got three books on there. I actually think they have a fourth one of mine as well, um, as well as stuff by all kinds of, I mean, Stephen King and Margaret Atwood. So if you're looking for something to read or listen to, I've got a new piece up there, new little mini book. And this one, Dad at Peace, a lot of it is about how I came to sort of struggle through some financial stuff, some insecurity, the pandemic, the health insurance, the questioning, the constant travel, taking a step back at my life and saying, I've had a very lucky life and a relatively successful life, but I don't know if it's for me anymore and how I came to start working at a nonprofit. And along the way, you'll be happy to hear, I think anybody who's listened will tell you, 
I spill a lot of tea about what happened with Beautiful Anonymous. I know there was a stretch where we announced we were going independent, and then I saw a lot of feedback from people saying, you sound looser on the show again. I could... Now that I can hear that some stuff was going on, I, I look back and can sense there had been some tension in some of those episodes and that you had some weight on your shoulders that's been lifted. If you've ever wanted to know more about what was happening with Beautiful Anonymous, I really do go pretty in-depth, more in-depth than I've gone publicly and probably than I will. I mean, the stories of the agent that helped the show survive are kind of baffling and and funny and some of the timeline of how everything started to break that led to Beautiful Anonymous going independent. I, I get really specific in there. So if you've ever been curious, you can go get the thing. You go to everand.com. That's E-V-E-R-A-N-D.com. You can sign up. You can check it out. You can listen to it. You can read it. Check out some of my other stuff when you're there. And then if the service is not for you, no harm, no foul, just unsubscribe. Um, and yeah, thanks to everybody who has supported it and checked it out. And this one I think will tug at the heartstrings and i think beautiful anonymous listeners will read it and go right this guy is finally realizing how to grow up and embrace who he is not who he used to be and a lot of you have always realized that six to twelve months before i have realized that as i take these life turns it's very strange it's very strange to go on the road and meet beautiful anonymous fans and I'll, they'll say oh you said this thing on the show and i said it to my husband a year ago like oh chris should do x y and z and i go i wish someone had told me and they go no 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 these are things you have to figure out for yourself and we listen and we listen to you figure them out and we all got each other's backs and it's wild the consistency with which i have conversations like that um i do also have to say i had a, an amazing dinner that Fans of Beautiful Anonymous, I think, will just like that this happened. I did San Francisco Sketch Fest, which is a great, great comedy festival. And every time I do it, I'm reminded of the reasons that I fell in love with comedy in the first place. Comedy, which can be so divisive and strangely so culturally influential in negative ways and and disappointing. San Fran Sketch Fest really stands against all the annoying sides of comedy and, and is reinvigorating. So I went and I did it. It was awesome. And I got to catch up with a bunch of friends. Then I flew up to Portland. My flight was delayed by over three hours. And I was bummed because my friend Murph, one of my dear friends, he was the reverend at my wedding. I was the reverend at his. We were on the TV show together back in the day. I got to hang out with him and his wife and his beautiful daughter for about 45 minutes. It was supposed to be the whole day. It was only about like 45 minutes. And we had to go get dinner and Murph came to the show. And that dinner, you'll be happy to hear, I got dinner with the callers from Love is Everywhere and Parade Girl herself. And I got to catch up with them, fill them in. Murph had them laughing with some stories of how I used to be in the old days, back when things were more wild with me. Got to hear about all the all the stuff Parade Girl's up to, which is always a lot of twists and turns, as you would expect in her life. And she really broke down in person as we sat and broke bread about how she managed to take over the show for a long while there. And she was laughing about how she knew that she was actively pissing off the high priestess, Andrea Quinn, as she manipulated the show and turned it into her own. And I was left there catching up with both the caller from Love is Everywhere and her husband, with Parade Girl, with my old friend Murph, and all these people from different eras of life and different eras of my creativity and I was just left really, really struck by how lucky I have been 
And sometimes I give in to the stress and sometimes I give in to the dramas. And then every once in a while, I manage to take a step back and go, I've lived this life where I've made some stuff and I've managed to survive. And the most important thing about it, it is it has connected me with people in ways I never expected and all over the world. And now that I'm, I've turned a corner age-wise and where being a father is a factor, I now get to have this other thing where I go to cities and I go, I'm sitting here having a dinner with one of my oldest friends, Murph, with Heidi and Rick, love is everywhere, who have been so deeply meaningful in my life, with Parade Girl who when you get past the idea that she manipulated the show and was my nemesis, it was actually this weird creative back and forth that she and I had that unfolded in a way that wasn't planned and that I didn't even know who she was. And I sit here and I go, okay, if Cal ever winds up in trouble in Portland, Oregon, I got multiple people who are going to have that kid's back. I know who I'll call if he ever has a car breakdown in San Francisco or Denver or Chicago or all over the country and all over the world. There's places where I know that if my little guy grows up and he needs help, he'll reach out to me and I'll be able to go, okay, you're in, you need help. Okay. You need help in that part of the world. Well, I got a 39 year old grandma who I think will be there and will treat you like her own grandson. And I don't know that, I don't know that you're even intimately aware with this person or, Oh, you're you broken down in Toledo? Well, make your way to Culture Clash Records and they will make sure that you are fed and housed and have a roof over your heads. And that extends not just to the community of this show, but the community um, of my life. And I don't know why I'm in such a contemplative mood. Sometimes I get in these moods where <laughs> I'm not trying to be too dark, where I will sometimes have these thoughts of like, cool, when I'm gone, my son will have all these people to protect him. And I go, I'm 43. I don't think I'm going anywhere re anytime soon. I just had a colonoscopy, clean bill of health. And it sounds macabre, but it's not macabre. It's actually such a peace, a sense of peace and such a sense of Zen, which is a lot of what dad at peace is obviously about, but also just in life in general. I feel very, very lucky to be in a phase where the stress has lifted at least momentarily enough that I can offer a huge heartfelt thank you to everyone who has been a part of my community and who I know has not just had my back, but where I go, my, my little guy has this gigantic safety net he could not even perceive for many years. And man, does that bring me a sense of peace. Anyway, that's that. We did the show plugs. I should also obviously mention that beautifulanonymous.com is up and running. It's going well. I don't think we're going to get to that 2,500 subscriber um, benchmark, but we're up above 600, and that's not nothing. I don't want to get caught up and say, well, if I could get to 2,500, I get this big financial bonus. At the end of the day, over 600 people signed up who want a little more bang for their buck. We put out an episode with Tim from Culture Clash Records. Um, catching up with him, doing the five questions, hearing how the store is going, hearing how life is going. The caller you're about to hear, the five questions afterwards are just lovely and surprising and fun. Once a month, we get to go out there and give a secret number for the people at the touchtone tier of beautifulanonymous.com. And 
you don't have to compete with so many people to be on the show. It's just really lovely. And if you buy for a whole year, there's big, massive discounts. Every day I type out two or three letters to the people who sign up at that cellular technology thing. That's where if you have disposable income, it's 150 bucks for the year. And you get a hand, uh, not a handwritten because my handwriting sucks. I typed out note from me. I type every single one individually. Many people would be tempted to like copy and paste the intro and outro and then just do a little blurb in the middle. It's different. Nope. Every single one is different. And I love doing it. I love schlepping to the post office. I've sent some off to the UK and Canada and it's so cool. So thanks to everybody who's been signing up. Thanks to everybody who's been listening. Thanks to everybody who's about to enjoy this call, which is an all-time classic. I'm calling it now. You're going to love this guy's energy from the start. I'm never certain where it's going. It has all the benchmarks of the types of beautiful anonymous calls that become embraced by all-time classics, meaning a clear phone connection, a good sense of humor, an unpredictable nature. Um, I ask questions that don't get direct answers, but they lead to like six new questions. There are animals that show up. I know that that's a lot of... uh, Is it going to be one of your favorite calls if there's not a random animal? Of course it's not. There's random animals and not standard random animals, weird random animals. And then, of course, there's also talk of things diving deep in a way that we won't see. And that if there's one regret I have, I wish we had more time to try to get into some specifics. But it's almost for the best that we don't because the caller comes to talk about something that is very... I don't want to say very unique to the 90s because it still goes on today, but it was very much chattered about and in vogue and a thing in the 90s and kind of a defining thing that when you think back to those 90s talk shows, um, I feel like it needs a little bit of a heads up. You might remember that back then it would be like, oh, Jerry Springer is having all these kids that have to go to some school that's like basically the military and they seem harsh and dark. Our caller went to one. Now, I don't want to spoil it, but I know that it might be something that some people need to brace themselves for if you've had experience with these because they don't have a reputation for being pleasant places. For a caller, it wasn't. But you will hear that we get into it in a way that's not the drawn-out narrative of his time there. It's more just a fact of his life and how it affected him then and how it affects him now. This one is very real in that way. It's not, well, on this date, I went, and on this date, this happened, and then I got out on this date. It's more, yeah, this was a thing that kind of became a weight that gave gravity to the entirety of my childhood experience that I had to then unwrap as an adult. And then you'll also hear that the caller is who he is today. It's kind of mind-blowing. So anyway, I feel really lucky. And I think you're going to love this one. I feel lucky that I have to get this call. I feel lucky that I get to live this life. I feel lucky that I get to connect with all of you. And I hope you're out there feeling lucky about your own things as well. And if you're down on your luck, you're having some bad luck right now and you're decidedly not feeling lucky, I hope at the very least this helps you connect with someone else for an hour and take your mind off your own troubles. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello. Hey. Yeah, what's up? Oh my gosh, um, not much. I was just uh, the music ended so abruptly. I was called off guard. That you were there. Here we are. We're in it now. We're really in it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was gonna try to make. I was like, oh, maybe I have time to make a cup of coffee before he comes back. But uh, 
Best of luck. Well, if you need to make coffee, I can hold. I'm not gonna put you on hold. Uh, well, how are how are you doing today? How was the how's winter weather where you are? Winter weather's not great. It's 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 there was a lot of snow and stuff a couple of weeks ago, so we don't have that. But it's just been gloomy here. As far as how I'm doing, I will say the answer is you really don't want to know, and I'm always honest about it. So don't ask. So don't ask. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, and not because I'm well, in a bad um, place. I don't. I'm not trying to freak anybody out. It involves. I recently had a colonoscopy, so just let's not ask about. Let's not even ask. No, no. That's listen. I'm. I'm. We're we're close in age, so adult yeah. uh, adult healthcare is a real thing. It, it can definitely catch you off guard for sure. And now I feel like I'm scaring everybody, and they all think that I have been diagnosed. I have not. It's just. What the hell? You got a rooster? I do. I have about 20 chickens. One of them is a rooster. Cat Noir was not supposed to be a rooster. We got this. We were re-upping on, on ladies, we thought. it was a, You get these straight runs, and yeah, and turns out Cat Noir was a boy. He had the Cat Noir? That was a straight run of, uh, we got, yeah, he's named Cat Noir. Kids named him Cat Noir, yeah, after the French cartoon. Wow. Are you familiar with Cat Noir and Ladybug Girl, The Adventures? No. This immediate, oh, this call has immediately taken some turns no one expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can we can we can zig away from colonoscopy. I I can chat about chickens. Uh yeah, chicken that... people are a lot like dog people. We Yeah, go for it. Well, so um when when you get chickens, um a lot like pe- people like us are kind of like backyard hobby farmers. You just get them from like factory supply or the hardware store, or, you know, places have chicks. And it's hard. A lot of times you get them a little bit older as pullets where they're guaranteed to be ladies, to be egg layers. But sometimes you figure you'll save a couple bucks, which was a mistake for, with, with one of these batches. And you're like, oh, I'll get a, what's called a straight run. And they're unsexed. And so we got a straight run of eight one time. Four of them were roosters and four were hens. But Cat Noir was small, and he escaped our detection. The other three roosters I got rid of on Craigslist, but um, but Cat Noir persists. He's been here a couple years now. Because you can't have more than one rooster, or they'll start fighting. Yeah. Well, some of that is is myth, right? And like the idea that roosters are mean and nasty. A lot of it is like you know we've got about twenty chickens total, so the hens, the pecking order is real. And the older hens don't suffer fools. They'll they'll put cat noir in his place. Like he'll try and uh, partake, or as the you know as the kids say, he'll try and ride some of the older ladies. And first off, they're not laying eggs anymore; they're just in retirement, and they they will they will fight back with him. So it's like it's kind of a diminutive size rooster. I don't know how to like. No, I'm not bringing you food. That's the other thing. They. They all line up when I come out on the porch because they think I'm bringing scraps. Damn, that rooster has good timing, though. Every time there's a pause in the conversation, that rooster, rooster inserts himself. Right there, nailed yeah, it again, well, the cock know... of the goddamn walk. <laughs> that is what it's like. It is funny. And, and um, we ha- we have so many chickens, we had to get a um, another goes the espresso machine right on time as well. Um we had we had to get a, a chicken vet to come out, and she sort of explained that um, roosters actually live a little bit longer 
than the hens because they really don't work as hard. You know, they don't they don't push eggs out of their vent every day. So. Do you but, do you live on yeah, a farm? Yeah, it's pretty cool. No, brother, I live in uh, well, anonymous, but I, I live in a, a large metropolitan area. But because of the state I live in, as a state happens to be an agricultural state in this very stylish, large metropolitan area, you're allowed to have as many um, chickens as you want because the state so basically through a strange loophole, um, you can have chickens. We could have goats if we wanted to. We could have uh, pigs if we wanted to. And we're we're in a, like a city. Um, in like a proper suburb, and like um, there's no HOA though, so you can do these sort of things. Can't have horses. That's where they draw the line. But if I wanted to add goats, or we looked at getting pigs uh, pre-pandemic, we thought about it for a little while. We just we have a little over a half acre, but we also have like a proper, you know, ranch home, like suburb people. Yeah, you have it. a half acre, which is respectable, but it's certainly not huge. How close is your closest neighbor? You oh, see why I'm right asking. Right over the fence. Uh, well, so my closest neighbor on one side is a delightful uh, retired uh, Greyhound bus driver. I love him. And he hangs out and scraps all day. He does uh, scrap metal scrapping. Got an, So he's out there with an angle grinder constantly. And um, and one of the chickens, uh, Cinnamon Girl, she's the only one that's figured out how to fly the fence. So she'll go over to his yard and lay eggs in his yard and then come back. And he loves that. So, so that neighbor's cool. And then the other neighbor immediately on the other side, uh, it's just never there. It's like a, it's a family home. They're just keeping alive, but no one lives there full time. And then um, the backyard directly behind me is just wetlands. So no issue. And to be honest, um, more annoying than rooster is people leave their dogs outside. Like still in this day and era, people leave dogs outside all night and all day. And those get loud. Those get crazy. So you got this guy grinding metal next to you. You 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 managed to get the one neighbor noisier than you. So ha- he can't really get mad. Yeah. Well, I think too. This is the thing about the rooster over the phone. I think the cell phone is uh, making him seem more aggressive. Also, I I've left the the screen porch door open. So now the cats are out there. So he thinks the cats are going to bring him food. You know, it's a real menagerie here. A real uh, we got a an a animal situation. But the chickens, man, you know, I don't know what your situation is like, but it's like uh, I grew up without, like, it's sort of funny. I make this joke, but the house I grew up in, there were, like, these couple hard, fast rules, and it was, like, one of them was no no pets of any kind. We just never had pets. No call waiting, which this sort of ages me, but, like, that was, like, an advanced technology when I was a kid. Like, so no call waiting and no cable TV, not for finances, just, like, on principle, we didn't believe in cable TV or my folks didn't believe in cable TV in their house. And even for a couple of years, we were like a TV free house in the eighties. So the TV free, the so TV free op- house kids. I mean, that means you didn't have a Nintendo or nothing. The, the no TV kids back in the eighties, um, you had a sense that their parents were on like, correct. Like it's going to make them smarter and more successful and more well-adjusted people. But man, Every other kid felt bad for the no TV kid. Well, it's funny. That lasted. The, the, the no TV lasted about, I want to say, it was a gimmick. Like, we moved. They're like, let's just not get a TV once we move into this new place. And I was in, like, like fourth or fifth grade. But but there's, like, 
like any good junkie, like there's loopholes. Like uh, my grandparents who lived in the neighborhood had cable television, like with the push buttons on top, you know, like the big brown uh, cable box. Do you remember those? Yeah, I remember those. Yeah. So I could, I could get a hit of it. Like when we stayed the weekend at the grandparents house. So like, and I would, I would indulge, like, like stay up for like 12 hours at a time. (laughs) I remember, um, you know, like staying up to watch Siren Live with a friend and a blanket for it. So it's like, you know, it, it found its way in. And then when I was in ooh, fifth or sixth grade, television came back in our house because my brother had to watch the news for his homework. So we got a TV and it came back. And, and which was lucky because I was just in time to um, participate in the Simpsons and all that, you know, the greatest TV ever. So. There you go. There you go. I, uh, I, I had a good friend growing up named Jeremy. Really good guy. And he had a no TV house. So certainly a no Nintendo house. And I remember at my birthday party, fifth grade birthday party, a bunch of kids came over. And everybody was like playing and running around in the basement and going outside. And he just sat and played Nintendo the whole time. And that's when I I was like, oh, yeah, moderation is a good thing. Because he's been deprived of this. And he's just like every second that he can ignore all of us to play some Mike Tyson's punch out. Like he is, he's gone for, there's no human interaction here, but he actually turned out great. I think his parents turned, were correct. I, he, I forget if he's an ambassador or a diplomat now, but he's like killing it. So they were correct. But I did see a moment of like, oh, if you take away something totally, then the second a person gets it, they go 250% in, all in on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I mean, that's sort of. But it's kind of sometimes the cycle of addiction. Like if people are deprived or aren't exposed to stuff or compulsive eating, all that sort of stuff that we get to, that we sometimes run into. Sometimes some of it, but it's funny. Um, I was telling uh, before you came on when I was chatting. Um, it's hard. It's hard to organically bring up things that are on the mind. But it's funny that um, I actually like it's uh, now that I'm an adult and a parent of my own. It's sort of like. Uh, and I am very lucky to still have my now elderly parents in my life, but they get to be grandparents. You probably are experiencing some of this too. And it's like, yeah, it's like whatever beef or problems they had with me as a youngin and whatever difficulty I have with them, I'm okay with them being the grandparents to my kids. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of a great, uh, close the loop. So like, I know I'm making really what I think of as terrible choices with my kids sometimes like around stuff. But then I'm like, you know, in the end it all, it's all at the moment worked out and I'm fortunate to have both my parents alive and in my life to be grandparents to my kids. So, you know, yeah, the, the, the few, the few years of physical television. And actually, I, I, like I said, we got one back just in time for the Simpsons premiere, you know, like to sit and watch the Tracy Ellman show and see the first Simpsons short ever. And like, off to the races with good television. There you, you know? go. At the golden age. Simpsons and Seinfeld. Yeah. Pretty good stretch of comedy for our lives growing up. Um, yeah, it, it is funny. Like, Oh, no, you go ahead. It's funny. Yeah, like my, my wife is also close to our minds. We, we talk about it when we encounter people younger than us who like stream and binge watch the shows from our youth. 
it feels weird because it's like they weren't engineered for you to watch every single episode in a row on time. It's like, you know, we caught it in syndication or we caught the reruns in the summertime. Like the like like my kids, the idea that you see everything you watch from episode one excessively through episode ten, you know, like you get to see it all in order is it's still foreign to me, you know. But I don't know. It's I, I gotta be old and let the the new ways come in. <laughs> I also miss I have very fond memories of and there's a few shows in particular, but one that stands out to me is I remember my mom was a big fan of the A-Team. Remember the A-Team? Oh, God, yes. Don't stop. Remember the one where you could phone in and choose a different ending? No. The A-Team had an interactive show? There was a special episode, a very special A-Team, where you could call like a 1-900 number or something, which we weren't allowed to do. But we watched, yeah, and then you could, you could choose a different end. You, you could vote for whether someone, I think it was Face finds a spot. Oh, God, you'll have to Google this. Someone's screaming at the at the phone right now. No, but I'm pretty sure that was there was an episode. Yeah, I love the eighteen. Sorry, yeah, I uh, got to experience eighteen. Huge eighteen. I love it when this clan comes together. Loved it. Loved that show. And my mom loved that show. And I have very fond memories. I don't think my dad was a fan, but once a week, when it was in season, my mom would sit in her bed and she would watch the eighteen. And I would go and sit at the bottom of her bed and we would watch the A-Team together. And it was not only, like you said, like not only is the idea of, hey, anything I want to watch in the, you know, largely from the entirety of the history of pop culture, I can go find it and consume all of it at my leisure. But there was also something to be said for things being appointments that you and your family had little rituals. Um. Who was I just? What was I just listening to? I was just, oh, just listening. Conan O'Brien did a great interview with Rob Reiner and Albert Brooks, and they were talking about All in the Family, which Rob Reiner was obviously on. He played Meathead, another show that I, I that was reruns for me growing up. That was before my time, but the reruns were great. And he was talking about it, it was when you look at the numbers, it was like fifteen percent, twenty percent of all Americans were watching All in the Family at the same time once a week and then discussing it and waiting for the next one. But I can't think of anything that happens right now where 20% of America comes together on a weekly basis to do a thing at the same time, let alone something as frivolous as an episode of television. Well, you're absolutely right. Like I have, I think it was uh, when I was in eighth grade, the second time uh, the Simpsons were still on Sunday night. And so if you hadn't, Stayed up and watched them on. I that's what the Simpsons were on Sunday night. Oh yeah, Mon- it's Fox. like the water. It's like, yeah. So like on Monday morning, and you know, you show up. If you didn't know what happened, what were you it. doing? If, you know, I, I have a feeling we're similar age. I'm 43. I have a feeling you're we're within spitting distance of each other. Yeah, I'm I'm 47. So we're you're, you're my wife's age. So you get yeah, it. Right it's there. like you're like a year and a half older than my brother, and it's like. If you miss the Simpsons back then and you try to come into the lunchroom on Monday, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, that's like showing up with a gun with no bullets. Like, you got no ammo to keep up. Well, well here's the craziest. That's so funny. The Simpsons are. Uh, the reason they're on my mind is my. I might be a little too young, but my nine year old discovered it on Disney Plus, And it's like, it, it's hard for her. 
little brain to understand that there's already 750 episodes in the can. When, like, as a family, you know, we stream the Disney Plus shows when they come out, and there's 10 episodes. But so she's discovered The Simpsons as this endless resource. Yeah. <laughs> and she's nine years old. Watch. And, and it's funny. Like, we started with some of the older episodes, and the references, some of them are, are evergreen, but some of it is so hilariously dated that they prefer the newer episodes of The Simpsons that are fully foreign to me. There's episodes of The Simpsons, Bart now wears, like, a, a hoodie, like a proper zip-up hoodie, like a stylish Brooklyn hipster hoodie, like, on the newer episodes. I didn't it's, know that till about a month ago. It is wild to realize, oh this thing that's so beloved by us, but my son, there's hundreds of episodes of it. And I'm sure many of them are good. I'm sure many of them are not, you know, I, I think a lot of us like to go, well, the Simpsons had that golden age. And after the episode where nope. he goes to New York city, that's where I stopped watching where Homer drinks the crab juice instead of the Mountain Dew. Good joke. That was the cutoff point. Like a lot of people say that and it's like, Oh no, there's hundreds of episodes more similar to Weezer, right? Like people our age, those first two Weezer albums, these are, you either you loved them or hated them, but you didn't have no opinion. They got like fourteen well, more albums I, that I, most of us have never heard. Well, you're you're gonna step, you're gonna step in it. Yeah, I'm forty seven now. I haven't formally played in a band since the mid nineties, but pretty much a dividing line when you played in bands in the nineties was whether the rest of the band liked Pinkerton or not. And so I was very lucky in the mid nineties to be in a band where Pinkerton was considered a bellwether. Like you had to hit that, or you. You weren't, you weren't shit, you know, that, yeah, you're absolutely right. But it's funny. My kids, my 11 year old adores, uh, whatever. There's a Weezer album that I think came out when he was a toddler. So like he heard the, it's like in his conscious, a song from, I don't know, about four summers ago that Weezer put out, but that's the one he knows. So yes, this stuff is evergreen. It's for for the kids, man. It's not for for some album called Ratitude or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, now your your kid is not old enough to discover his own music yet, or is he? Or oh, you're like this. As someone who used now. to be in a band, he has discovered his first favorite band that he decided was his favorite band. Uh-huh. A band that neither yeah. ha- now my wife is a musician as well, so she there's always music on in the house. But she I, right. she would not claim herself to be this kind of person, nor would I. He is four and a half years old, and he recently decided. He is all in on Kiss, yeah. and I think it's the best, funniest thing in the world. Oh, did he see it visually or hear it audit- like auditorily first? He, I don't know if, maybe a song came out on Shuffle. I know that the flashpoint was when he saw them. My wife showed him a video. Like he, huh? I think, heard a Kiss Perfect. song in the background somewhere and was like, Mommy, this is good. And she was like, oh, wait till you see these guys. And then he sees... <laughs> You know, the demon and star child and cat man and spaceman. And he was just like, yo, this is my thing. This is it. This my th- this is my thing. He wanted to be Gene Simmons for Halloween. He insisted that Howie oh, be yeah. uh, star child, Paul Stanley. I was cat man, Peter Chris. I was like, oh, I guess we just won't have an ace freely because we were only three of us. And he goes, well, Uncle Greg has to come from Philly. I was like, Uncle Greg has his own kid. He's not driving up from Philly to dress up as Ace Freely. He goes, well, then Grandma has to do it. We were like, Cal, your grandma is not painting her face like Ace Freely and wandering around the neighborhood on Halloween. <laughs> like, But he was all about it. And then Kiss's last concert was at Madison Square Garden. And I, I we really wanted to take him, but the tickets were hundreds of dollars. And I never, ever do this. <laughs> my, if you asked my manager today, 
he'd tell you probably more than maybe any client in the history of the entertainment business. Like I got all these buddies who will get Nick's tickets from their agents and stuff. I'm just like, I think that whole side of entertainment is gross. I want to make stuff. I want to move on with my life. I don't want to get caught up in this thing where I owe you because you were able to get me reservations at some restaurant, blah, blah, blah. But I reached out to my manager. I was like, is there any, do you know any back channel to kiss tickets? And he was able to find me a way to get them at like the cheapest possible price, but it was still just too much for a four-year-old. But we got it on pay-per-view and then we took him. There was like a Kiss pop-up store in New York. So he's all about Kiss. And I never liked Kiss. Like Kiss was real, you know, like real crazy over the top. And a whole thing about punk kids is like punk really stripped it back down to just like three chords go. So the indulgence of Kiss was like offensive to my sensibilities. But now I'm listening to a bunch of these songs and I'm like, bunch of these Kiss songs are fucking great. And I was real pretentious. Like Crazy Crazy Nights, great song. But sometimes we'll have them on in the car and I'll go to like skip one that's just like nine minutes of, you know, Spanish guitar fingering where I'm like, this is not my thing. And I'll go to forward it and Cal will be in the back seat and he'll be like, what are you doing? Play that song. And he's not messing around. He's like, you don't skip a Kiss song. He won't skip. He won't. He'll oh, be like, great. what if we just skip forward to Detroit Rock City or something? He's like, no, this one. I'm like, okay, we have to listen to every Kiss song in its entirety all the time. Let's pause there. One thing you might know about Kiss, legendarily the most commercial band of all time, unapologetically capitalists. You know who else is a capitalist? Me with this show because we have ads for products and services. Check them out. Use the promo codes. It really helps when you do. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here. And I think you all know how important the conversation surrounding mental health is to me. Not only is it something that I've had to walk my path, I've been extraordinarily public about that. And I now actually have a job with a mental health-based nonprofit trying to make things easier for kids in schools surrounding this conversation. So I take it seriously and I think about it a lot. And I will tell you, I feel very lucky that our longest partner as far as sponsors is Talkspace because therapy turned my life around. And I remember so acutely how hard it was back in the late nineties, early two thousands to even have a conversation about how to think about finding therapy. Talkspace is out here making it easy you can find a therapist you like. You can make it convenient for you and your lifestyle. You can meet at line, online. You can be at home. You can be on a break at the office. You can cut out the commute time, and it can make a huge difference, and kudos to them. A lot of people see the barriers of entry. They think seeing a therapist or psychiatrist might be helpful, but what if you don't have the time? What if you don't have the money? Well, Talkspace is there. It's waiting for you, okay? They cut down on those costs. They make things easy, accessible, and affordable, and you do not need to sit and wait for something awful to happen in your life. If there's storm clouds on the horizon, don't wait for the storm to come. Get ahead of it. Start thinking about therapy right now. That way you can shift your perspective, avoid things hitting that rock bottom. Get going. Get the tools you need to cope in difficult times. You can sign up online with Talkspace. You get a personalized match with a provider right for you. That usually happens within 48 hours. Think about it. You can have appointments from the comfort of your home. You don't need to take off work. You don't need to line up childcare. It's mental health care made easy. You can shift perspective. You can have help with specific challenges, okay? There's therapists out there with over 40 specialties on the Talkspace platform. Whether it's anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, 
There's people who focus on these things who can help you right now. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off of your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash beautiful. You want to match with a licensed therapist today? Go to Talkspace.com slash beautiful. You'll get $80 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash beautiful. Thanks to our advertisers. Now, let's get back to the phone call. He won't skip. He won't. I'll be like, what if we just skip forward to Detroit Rock City or something? He's like, no, this one. I'm like, okay, we have to listen to every Kiss song in its entirety all the time. That's fun. That's fun. Well, uh, it, when my kids were that young, I mean, they're not much, but I have an 11 and a nine year old, but like my son at that age, for whatever reason, he glommed on to Modest Mouse. He even had a little Modest Mouse t shirt. It was cool. like it's some of the most. Uh, yeah, he really. Something about the voice and the like dissonance and the extra instruments, he would have us, he, he would hear certain parts and have us rewind it to just like, there'd be a song that was like the third track on an album and it ends with just a drum break. He'd be like, I want to hear that one, the one that ends with just drums. Like that's how he would describe them. And now, as an 11 year old, he's a full like, um, he's really into scores from movies. Like, and, like, he's so strong into it that he'll tell you John Williams sucks. Like, he's that into, like, modern movie composers. <laughs> he's, like, wow. got, like, an ear for it. He can hear Yeah, he can pick it out right away. Like, we watched... Did you watch that um, live-action One Piece on Netflix yet? Have you seen that? Live-action One Piece? No. It's, well, again, kids... In, this, is the, this is the only... Not the only. This is one of the cool things about being an old, out-of-touch parent is... Who used to be, well, you know, you're learning this. We used to be the ones that were in touch with what's happening, but they introduced this thing. And it's this like Japanese animation that I knew nothing about, but it was made into a live action show. But we watched it as a family, which was fun. And then he's like, yeah, I really like, he would just start immediately, he, he can just like pick out the songs and he starts, he picks piano lessons, but it's like, he's got this crazy developed ear and like he's already a better musician than I ever. I'm a you know purely self-taught drummer who played by ear, but he can read piano. He understands theory, like and and scores. Like he hears them like well, you know. That's so cool. And you were like a '90s indie rocker. It sounds like. Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, straight, straight up, and 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 I'm old enough that you know, four track recording demos, playing some you know some club shows, but then I had a real. Uh, a, a, a bump in the road right on age 17. So a lot of that stuff got, got put by the wayside. And then I came back to it briefly in the nineties. And then I kind of, um, switched mediums, I guess I just sort of, but I, I still, I mean, there's still a drum set in the house and there's still an, a, a, an ear. I still have like a kind of a developed ear, I guess. But like my wife plays cello and reads music. My, both of the kids take piano lessons and can read sheet music. I just like, I never learned to properly read music, which was such a prideful thing at that time. But now I kind of, you know, I sound like every adult musician plays that year. I just wish I'd been mature enough to take every option. Yeah. It's got to be cool to come up as a player for your wife to be someone who plays music and then to have your kid to be like, oh, your first favorite band is Modest Mouse. You must be like, wait. Is this kid cool? And now the kid's reading music and understanding theory. That's got to yeah. be such a great feeling. But it is cool. And also, like, um, 
I mean, he's 11, and he's not. Um, I mean, this, this he's better than I, as a person. He's already better than I was by 11. You know what I mean? Like, by as 11, a person or a musician like, stro- or both? Person as a human, as a human. No, I, better... at 11, I'd already quit. Uh, I'd already quit violin and was was uh, at 11. I was more into like when I didn't drums didn't enter my life until maybe a little bit after that. Like I saw. Like the first time I I saw a drum set being played live, um, I got like the first time I ever played drums was the the guys like here you want to try I literally never held drumsticks and it was like in a setting in front of people. <laughs> I'm just that reckless I guess I don't know but no he's a better person than me than I was at eleven for sure. Now I will tell you I this is the fact that we've already had roosters and gone down the music road and and talked about how your neighbors grind metal and therefore they can't complain about the roosters. I will listen to you talk about anything forever. And I have a feeling our fan base feels the same way. I will say we have a document where Andrea and I type back and forth and Andrea has let me know that we haven't even touched the stuff you actually talked about on the phone with her, which we can either do or not do, but I just love knowing how much you have to offer. That is correct. Well, uh, I don't know how to short circuit it. It does. Um, uh, let me pick back up. So, like, yeah, around 11, around when I was the age my son is now is when I began. And even a little bit before that, I had my first real troubles in school. Like, um, I was uh, in fourth grade. I was asked to leave the um, Orthodox Jewish day school I was at. Got kicked out of there. Then I went to a fifth grade. And then by the time I made it to high school, I'd been to, like, four or five other schools. And then I never fully finished high school because um, – I skipped school and dabbled in substances so much that I was uh, sent off into what was kind of called the um, troubled teen industry. Like in the '90s, you probably remember Desert Tough Love programs and stuff like that, where they would send kids boot camps. But you know, and, you're only under them. But you know, I yeah, I, so this, I, I remember them because you'd see like Jerry Springer would have episodes on them. Yep. All those shows from Sally the Jesse 90s. Raphael would yeah. happen too. Yep, Sally Jesse Raphael would feature them. Yeah, and so. Um, but I mean, like, uh, yeah, <laughs> so like, or, and this is the thing, like, why I emphasize enough, like, I'm a grown man, I'm 47, this stuff is 30 years, but these are my strong uh, form, formational memories from 30 years ago, is, uh, you know, thinking it's cool just to skip school a bunch, and then like, um, and, you know, doing the drugs and all that good stuff, but I've, I've been sober for 24 years now, so... You can run that clock back. But, yeah, I got um, – it's sort of like w- one day um, – let's see, how to piece the timeline together. Yeah, basically after – did you – in New Jersey, did they have sort of the, like, teen mental lockup kind of hospital places where they would send troubled teens to, like – ours were called Charter. They were, like, a brand name. Did they yeah. have a place like that in New Jersey where – I remember – the levels I remember were that our high school had a wing called Horizons, which the rumor was that they locked the door from the outside, and that's where the troubled kids went. And then if you were too bad for Horizons or if you were younger, then they had the county school. And the county school was supposedly right. a place where you'd just like go get bust, and all the worst kids from every town of the county would be there, and you'd play pool all day. That was the go. rumor about that. And then I do remember, you know, there was a couple kids that got sent to like a military school, which is starting to flirt with what sure. you're talking about. 
Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, and here's the thing. Like, I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. I'm a 47 year old grown man now, two kids of my own, amazing, my elderly parents in my life. And it's sort of like, uh, the, the half joke is when those years come up, um, they're sort of referred to as the late unpleasantness in our family, which is a, a funny historical joke. But, um, but I, I've, I've put in the work in, you know, in, but, but the memory. So, the Desert Tough Love program, uh, just to short circuit it, basically um, you have to be sort of as where you're flown to a desert in, um, this one was in Idaho. And so it's like you go from like my many weeks of skipping school and, you know, sleeping in my station wagon to basically being scooped up in this system. You know, I'm 17 years old and uh, you get off the plane and I don't know how to, des- I, I do know how to describe it because I've done so much writing. Uh, but the, of the main instructor or counselor, I don't even know what to call the guy, looked like Neil Young on a bad trip already, you know, like <laughs> the guy that greets you, like giant mutton chop, stringy hair. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then they strip you down naked and had you comb out your pubic hair and like shake out your, like it's like a jail, it's like an entry into jail, but it's a desert. And you make a bedroll and you're basically then like, that one was a couple weeks How you know, old marching you around the happened? desert. But what? I was 17 for that one, but that's just the beginning. <laughs> it was, I was 17, yeah. And um, and then from there, I was sent to the, the next stop on the train <laughs> is what were called academic therapeutic schools. But that's kind of a 90s term for reform schools that had a vaguely uh, therapeutic background to them, I guess. I don't know. These terms will make me seem dated and old-fashioned because the world is, I think, far more sensitive. You know, the age I am, it's like if a kid couldn't pay attention in school, it was a huge problem with the kid. And then these days, my kids are real lucky. Like, if a kid has a problem with school, we assume there's something wrong with the structure and the way we're teaching. You know what I mean? Like, we, we're we more open now, I think, to people who learn differently. I definitely so, think but, there, um, there was, when we grew up, more of a predilection to label a kid bad and treat that as final. You know what I mean? Right. There's a lot more and, of and that. And here's the crazy shit. I don't know how to say this without sounding retrospectively innocent, but I didn't feel like I was a bad kid. I didn't feel inherently mischievous. I wasn't mean-spirited in fact i was you know i was picked on when i was younger and like even at the time that i got scooped up in that system i didn't relate to some of the like some of the people um at that desert tough love were like true criminals like i had never like you know what i mean like they were like criminal teens and like had like criminal mischief all right relax you guys you're as loud as the rooster now the cats have entered (laughs) and like um i don't know i just didn't uh I was mischievous to the point of like, like I mean, a good example was in middle school. One time I was acting, my parents love to retell this story. One time I was acting out and the teacher's like, sit down and says, sitting down on my desk. I sat down in the middle of the floor, but you know, in 1989, that's like a revolution. That's like a terribly disruptive child in 2024. I'm sure someone would film a TikTok of that. You know, I just, yeah, it's hard to explain how different, how different it was. Also when I tell people that like, I was in seventh grade, people would, that, that, the people making fun of us the most were the teachers themselves. Like, I don't know if you ever experienced that where teachers were the ones bullying. Oh, I, I mean, so. we had a teacher in high school who 
he was pretty beloved. I actually grew to really grow tired of him throughout my high school career. But he used to routinely tell us, oh, I live in Livingston. I would never live in West Orange. Like, I'll teach here, but I would never live in this place. Like, he was actively making fun of us for living in the town we lived yeah, yeah. in where he taught. And it was like, you what? You look back now, you're like, what? Are you – you can't – if a kid came to my kid's school and was like, I would never live in this shithole of a town, we wouldn't find that funny. No. And like I said, like in seventh grade, I had a teacher that just made fun of my name and provided basically fuel for other kids to taunt me. But what's good, you know, and discovered, like I said, discovered you played in bands, but it's like, um, but it's like my sense of mischief. I never had like this, like Bart Simpson was never a relatable character to me. Let's put it back to the Simpsons. You know what I mean? Like I probably related more to Lisa. Yeah. Uh, just being like eternally curious and, you know, but also definitely defiant of authorities. Like I, even now as an adult, if I run into someone in a position of authority and I know they're wrong, I do, I do. They can't get to me, I guess. You know what I mean? Like I've definitely had instances where people, they think they're going to bully me, but I don't, I still not like a, I don't bully back, but I don't, I don't, uh, what's the word? I don't intimidate easily either. You know? Yeah. And now going to this situation I, 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 where it sounds like you were in over your head, you're seeing other kids where you're going. Cause again, and one of the things that, one of the things we've also unwrapped that we were trained to do back then is to make everything sort of a comparison and pissing contest. So you're sitting here going, there's kids who are actual criminals here, which again, it's bad that we were even trained to start gauging who quote unquote really deserves to be here. Cause I don't know that those programs right. are looked back I, on I, finally I, with I, anyone. Um, no, but I like, I self, I, I, yeah, go ahead. No, you self what? I self identified back then probably as just like a, a, a stoner musician, you know, goofball. Like I, I didn't see myself at like, there was people at these programs who like this one guy, this is, pre columbine this is 94 so there was one guy who had stolen weapons and stolen a boat and like that was like facing grand st- you know he was he was there on a judge's order to avoid jail <laughs> and i'm like yeah i just smoked pot and skipped a lot of school i mean it turns out i how like i said i you know i got clean when i was in my 20s there was a lot more underneath all that but of the course. personas we we at least but 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 anyway, so like I was definitely being like that was the initial exposure to it. But then, um, then I went to this uh, the school, and then eventually I ran away from that. School. <laughs> um, I mean, this, this is all basically like between age seventeen and eighteen. And then by the time I was eighteen, I had made it to um, Alaska. Also through these these convoluted programs, my parents and God love them because. Like I say, they're the greatest grandparents my kids could ever ask for. They literally, like, I, it, it is, um, it is healing watching my dad with my kids. You know, yeah. Like it's a, uh, it's it's really cool. Like he's he's pop pop, and it's like uh, that's something to cry. I got <laughs> pull it back, but like it is cool. Like there's no, um, and and like uh, I got to heal all that stuff. But it is, it's this memory. It's sort of funny, like. And the only time I'm reminded of like my unusual adolescence is, you know, now a lot of the adults I meet in my life are other parents and I have very little in common with them other than the parenting thing. And occasionally when they talk about like high school or their youth sort of have to shrug, you know, like, ah, well, you know, I'm, I missed my junior prom because I was 
in the desert. (laughs) When you think back to those days where it sounds like your Mm -hmm. instinct still today is, I don't know that this was a program meant for me compared to some of the other people. These programs overall, which I think there are still versions of them that happen. Famously, the rapper Earl Sweatshirt was sent to like a school in Samoa that was a similar like school for troubled kids. There's also, you know, Modest Yahoo went through a system like that too. um, There's also, you know, there is also a very dark version of it in modern times, which is conversion camps for LGBT kids, which is, yeah a version of what you went through with a specific aim. I think you could, you know, and there might be people who say, no, they're very different, but I think they fall under the same umbrella of take a type of kid and send them to a behavior modification camp. That is dark. Yeah. And yeah, go. And, you see and what I'm school, saying? The school, the, yes. And the school system that I was plugged into what, what I know now that the years have gone by and, um, but yeah, I don't want to break my anonymity literally and figuratively, but um, I do know that a lot of what was exposed about that industry was sort of that troubled teen industry is that it, it preyed on desperate parents. And like to my parents' credit, they, for whatever reason, by the time I was 17, given all the, um, already all the consequences and things I'd faced by then, they felt out of options. And I do think in some ways that system preyed on them as much as it preyed on us, as, as much as it preyed on the teens. You know sure. what I mean? But, um, and, and, and now that I'm a parent, like I get it. If in five years, my kid seems unreachable and someone swoops in and says, we can fix this. I don't know if I wouldn't, you know, like it's like, even, even knowing what I know, even here's the recovery and healed relationship. Like I, I still, so I get how that, but I think that's also what was exposed a lot about those places. They weren't effective. They didn't really, um, Actually, it's funny. It was on my mind because I heard something on NPR. This is so. This is so middle-aged, Chris. I heard something on M- on an NPR podcast <laughs> where a dad who had tried to help his kid with tough love and stuff eventually came around to a different approach, and the kid actually got. To, and this was more recent, so it was the oxycotton epidemic. That's the other thing. To be clear, in '94, this was a slightly more innocent time when the Grateful Dead still existed. That was still an, an option. You know, you could still drop out of high school. And go on the road, and then drop back into college. You know, I I, may, I found my way back to college, to college at like I started at twenty one. So it's like, I do think the world is less innocent now. Does that sound? Do you share that, or maybe you don't feel that way? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. I mean, I certainly think I go back and forth because I sit here and I go, the parent as the parent of a four year old right now. I know that there was one kid in our neighborhood when we moved here who used to like jump on a bike and drive all around and his parents wouldn't know where he were. And it was kind of like, oh man, this kid is like stressing out his parents and everybody's worried. And I go, that was just the standard of get on a bike and go and and your parents don't know where you are. Now it is expected that parents know where you are and oversee you. And in, in some ways that's good and in some ways that bad. But we also grew up in an era, you and I, where anyone in a van was trying to kidnap you and there were constant satanic rituals and D and D was, a, was secretly <laughs> trying to turn you into a Satanist. So we look back behaviorally as these innocent times, but we were also constantly drilled with fear throughout all of that. So I don't think it's as simple as a lot of people like to put those rose colored glasses on and say, 
Let's pause there. I want to underline that because there is such a dialogue right now. Of like, back in our day, we got to live free. And it's like, yeah, but we were all terrified of being kidnapped all the time. And also people just said homophobic stuff freely and it was fine. Like, the times are better. Progress has been made, everybody. We can let our kids go on bikes and explore more and not romanticize times that also had some dark edges. Anyway, I think about it a lot. I also think about different products and services that might improve my life. And luckily for you, we've got some commercials coming up with things you might enjoy. We'll be right back. Thanks again to all our sponsors. Now we're going to finish off the phone call. We look back behaviorally as these innocent times, but we were also constantly drilled with fear throughout all of that. So I don't think it's as simple as a lot of people like to put those rose-colored glasses on and say. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I, that, that rings true. It's funny you brought up the, the satanic panic. I distinctly remember the year that the Judas Priest suicide article landed in Rolling Stone magazine because I used to go to this um, magazine store. Well, that's really outdated, but like a magazine store that I could <laughs> ride my bike to. And I remember that was like the first really good long-form article I finished in Rolling Stone, I remember after finishing, I was like, gosh, I never, I still don't like Judas Priest. But you remember that. They, were, they blamed it, a backwards masking. It was that whole ordeal. Yeah, yeah. that was the same time. But... I also want to say, too, about the type of program you were in. And it sounds very clear. Like, you have referred to it as they preyed upon your parents. And right. it, I, I get the sense that your opinion is these were not effective for anybody and also want to point out too there's been some very famous cases of uh in pennsylvania in particular there was a judge who went to prison because it came out that he was taking kickbacks by sentencing kids to these camps and then they were paying him money on the side because they were for profit and actually i have a good friend of mine murph who uh used to appear on my tv show with me who went before that judge maybe six months before he sold his first kid into into that whole boot camp system and these kids would come out of it. There's documentaries about that Pennsylvania case in particular, because there was so much, you know, I mean, there was criminal behavior by a judge, but all these kids saying I smoked pot on my way in and I was a criminal on my way out and I was abused while in there. And yeah. there is yeah. no world ab- about if it improved my life. It absolutely made my life worse that I went there. Yeah, yeah. The, the the school that I ended up with for a couple months when I was seventeen, uh, I mean, in the intervening years has has had a lot of uh, exposure. But at the same time, like um, when you're a troubled teen, like a charismatic um, therapist, for lack of a better word, which there should never be such a thing, um, can Im- impact you briefly. But like, I was also very lucky because, like I said, my sense of uh, sense of mischief wasn't that strong that I like I still kind of even in my darkest days knew some form of right from wrong you know what I mean like I was chasing something else I don't know and I don't know what that was you know like uh the restlessness and then it, but by the time I put myself back together at least like there's enough resources available for free even today you know like that if someone wants to put themselves back together they can you sound but, uh, remarkably well adjusted. Now, like now you sound like a guy who's just living with his family, raising your family and a bunch of animals, and you are a great conversationalist. You sound like you really landed on your feet 
in a way that my guess is I, I, you would crazy. not have predicted for yourself when you were young. A hundred percent. I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. And um, by the time I um, found myself clean off drugs and uh, enrolled in college, I stumbled into something I had never participated in, in my life and then got off on a path that um, baffled even me. Uh, and, and, and yeah, there was a point where I was being paid to speak on this discipline that I had learned at university level. And it's, it was a, it's, it's, it's a trip because my professional and human and personal resume re- reveals none of that. You know what I mean? Like my, all of that, like what, everything I went through between age 11 and, you know, 23 doesn't exist other than stories I choose to tell. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it is sort of great that like when people judge me, they judge me on all these things I've done with a clear sober head, you know, like the, I'm accountable for the last 24 years of my life. And it's a hilariously bizarre, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like when I meet other parents and every once in a while I do, like I have one of my best friends now I met through parenting and I actually um, could relate to him on other level. Like he, he, it was really, it's neat. Like I've made a good friend and his kid is good friends with my kids. But then a lot of times, parenting man it's just sort of like this blank slate we're all you know have to befriend but you meet some weird people when you're a parent that's for sure i have to say so i mean it sounds like you're keeping it vague because you don't want to out yourself and if that is the case that's fine but i am very intrigued when you say that you wound up professionally doing something where you were like being hired to speak at a very high level that you never saw coming. I'm very intrigued to ask what it is, but if you're like, I'd rather keep that private also totally get it. Well, uh, I can still make it anonymous. It, 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 it's in the arts and it's not, it's not the self-taught music. Like I had to learn and self-teach something else and I ended up getting a couple degrees in it. And then, um, uh, what's the term? I, the joke I always make is like in um, like 2007, 2008, some of the work I did went bacterial because it didn't really go viral, but it went bacterial. It touched enough people that were already in my network that then it sort of turned into a many year odyssey, you know, chasing that. But yeah, I, I have a feeling that if anyone knows me personally, they'll be like, oh my God, I'm, I'm sure I'll get some text messages. But also, I don't know. I don't know if I know anyone personally in my current life who actively listens to Beautiful Anonymous. You know, like people say they listen to, like, I think my mom used to listen to it too, uh-huh. but maybe she's uh-huh. fallen off. I don't know. Uh-huh. But, um, my mom too. My mom too. But, but uh, yeah. But also the other thing, me personally, I deleted all my social media a couple of years ago. Um, had enough of it, you know, <laughs> save for one. It's funny. I, I, this is, again, this is the magic of the world, Chris. Uh, I still have my Twitter for some unknown reason you, you know? kept the worst one so it's funny but i perceive it as the oldest one and i had this is this is how my brain works i associate it with a good friend from graduate school who told me about it like a month after it premiered he's like, oh you got to get this thing where you can send text messages to the internet i was like why would i want to do that he's like, oh, it's so cool you can just send a text like from a flip phone you can send a text message and it would show up on the very early version of twitter so i have a warm fuzzy association with it Sure. So that's how you called today. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That but, was um, that was a. But it's like I, I va- that made my. I know less about. I asked you what you wound up doing professionally. I do feel like I know less based on that answer. 
Well, because <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Well, um, yeah, I don't. I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 in the eyes. All right, relax. It's not going to eat you. Uh, can you hear that squawking in the background? Yeah, yeah, I hear it. No, the the hens, the hens just that that's the hens. They make they make different noises. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, it, it's in the arts, man. It's a, it, but it's it's a it's a weird thing too. Like on the other side of it, um, I mean, the the my, I, don't know, I guess everyone says it when they get through to you. Like that's, I have it better than most, and then even the pandemic kind of hit me for a wallop, where it kind of like the thing I did the best was help people to put a sort of a spectacle based thing in their space to invite in crowds. And then it's like, oops, surprise, 2020 to 2022. We don't need that anymore. <laughs> so, but, um, but yeah, it's cool. Like I, I definitely am surprised about how things turned out, you know, that I have kids surprises me. I mean, they weren't surprises. We tried, we're trying to have, them, but how much that do I, your that kids I'm know about kid. your past? So it's funny. I try and be honest with my kids. My son knows, my kids know that I got in trouble in school a lot. They know that, you know, by the time I was in fourth grade, I was asked to leave my first school. And they know that I was paddled when I was in fifth grade. Like, I mean, I tell them the stories, but they seem real abstract to them. Because, like, my son is, like I said, at 11 years old, he is already a better person than me. He saw his first uh, fight with his own eyes, like, a couple weeks ago. That's a fifth grader. He's managed to not see any, like, you know, but he's headed to middle school next year, which I, I worry about for other reasons. But um, but he was shaken. He was like, oh, my God, I felt, you know, like he didn't know what to make of it. That, and then, of course, the next day, fifth graders who fight are friends again. But he, he just, you know, but, uh, yeah, they know, but they, it's abstract to them because they're such good kids. They're such good students, you know. In the other direction, do you ever, you're still in touch with your parents. You say they're great. They're, like, awesome at being grandparents. Is there any ever? Is there ever any discussion of like, why did you send me to that weird desert punishment school, oh, or do you just yeah, let yeah, it yeah. go? No, no. So, like, like I said, um, we've had years of healing around that. Uh, that that's there's. I know the reason. I, mean, I I I put in years of work with that, and like to to rebuild and build a new relationship with them. Man, I don't know how to put it. In the coolest thing happened a few years ago. Uh, I was talking to my mom, and she's like, oh, I don't know if I've told you this story yet, but I think if you was a friend, so I was just going to tell you the story again. And it's like, if you ever make it to adulthood and have had an ongoing relationship with your parents and your mom slips up and says, oh, I think of you as a friend, it's, I, I'm, I hold on to stuff like that now. Like, it's, uh, it's cool. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not super well-adjusted. I still, like, <laughs> struggle, you know? Yeah, you know. sound just, remarkably well-adjusted, but I also know we're just talking for an well, hour. Yeah, we're only talking for an hour, and also, um, I don't know, maybe, uh, well, like, the things I struggle with the most these days, though, it's sort of funny. Like, it's like these core issues, struggle around food. It's so funny. Right before I called into the number, I had just made a mistake with some food. I ate more than I should have, and I know you know that feeling because you have struggled with food and exercise. It's like, oh, I didn't need to eat that. Like, I started off with a good lunch, just had, like, a sweet potato and some vegetables, but then I was like, ooh, I'll have a second lunch of crackers and hummus, which isn't inherently unhealthy but i've got like cracker and hummus belly like it's like ugh, weights you down after a while i would dream of eating as healthy on a consistent basis as you just described between those two lunches no but i, I can still obsess like it's it's it becomes this obsession and like i, I even exercise today which is like 
but um but also the older i get i think i'm more comfortable with my physical form just being what it is you know like i put in the exercise i eat healthy and so what i had to go up a pant size like people tell me i look young for my age so <laughs> do you are you in touch with any of the people from those from those strange years where you were kind of sent off to fend for yourself whether that's other kids that were there, counselors. No, and and there's a a self protective reason for that. like, uh, no, and and I have occasionally, in the midnight hour when awake, have Googled to see what's become of some of those characters, but um, but in general, anyone, unless it's like family or a lifelong friend or someone, there's no one from before. Um, getting clean that I stay in touch with. There is, you know, there's one person I met along the way on that journey that I occasionally uh, will email with, um, but he's not related to the, he's related to the time when I ran away from all that stuff. But no, I have a whole, like I say, it's a, it really was like once I made the choice myself, I got like a new fresh life. But, um, but I occasionally like when, when some of the people who ran one of those programs passed away, it made it made some news. And when lawsuits pop up, like I do sometimes Google to see, oh, yeah, I wasn't completely my, Even my sense as a 17-year-old wasn't completely off about this place. There's something dark was happening. But, you know, at the time, like I said, at the time, those whole industries were, were I mean, they were preying on parents who were desperate. And I don't fault desperate parents. You know what I mean? And I mean, there's, you know, I don't want you to relive anything, but just to be clear to anybody who's like, I'm not sure what they're talking about. These were ostensibly schools that were like supposed to be a lot of discipline and tough love and almost militaristic, but the stories would come out that there was okay. just outright abuse, that there was how just much, outright abuse. Yeah. How we, much, we have six minutes. How much time do we have left? Okay. In six minutes, I'll put it to you this way. One of the times I was there. Uh, one of the penalties I got because I didn't understand what I was being asked to do is to go sit in a basement in the dark and scrub with a toothbrush in this creepy old uh, mansion. And I should say at that time when I was 17, I was still instinctively afraid of the dark. And the, the head therapist of that school knew that I was still scared of the dark. It was one of my greatest fears. So I was left alone in a basement to scrub a floor with a toothbrush. So yeah, that shit happened. So they find <laughs> out about your greatest fears and then exploit them to punish you. Like it's, it's, as punish as punishment, yeah, 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 and then also, uh, yeah, and a lot of um, yelling. They called it confrontational therapy, and then you know, but some people went through those programs and had stellar lives, and other people, like myself, bounced in and out of them, and then found kinder, gentler paths. You know, what I mean, like there's, I don't know how to say it in so many code words, you know, but um, yeah. Those memories are there, but they're not like, uh, you know, it's funny, like, um, do you ever, well, obviously you write for a living, but like sometimes I just write on a blank document just to barf up memories of, of any type. And I do like the activity of writing. So, you know, this stuff comes back. Yeah. All right. So we got five minutes left? About four and a half. I did want to ask too, because you've mentioned that the timeline of this, you mentioned that you did get clean from drugs at some point. But you've also mm-hmm. said on your way into the desert program, you were just kind of like a stoner kid from the eighties. That's right. So do you feel yeah. like the program so by the time, accelerated you into yeah. further so, drug abuse? Once I left, well, yeah, once, 
this is the thing about the confrontation school. One of their approaches was to psychologically break you down and kind of wrench open that void even further. So when you run away from that place, you're like, well, I must be a complete degenerate and scumbag, so I might as well, you know, uh, live, live on the such. land and, and do this every day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Act as if. But then in the inverse, when I finally was done, um, I was able to seek help. And um, and like I said, even even through all that, I managed to um, get get high school out of the way at a very old age, and then you know apply to college. And and then um, somewhere during my I dropped out of college once, and then when I dropped back in, it really it really took off. Something coalesced around. Uh, studying art in college. So I know people always say, oh, drop out. But I say, go to college and study something you know nothing about. It might be good for you. <laughs> uh, this has been one of my favorite calls in the history of this show. we still got three minutes left. Oh, my God. Okay, well, um, music. Uh, you know, this is the funny thing about getting old and losing touch with What's relevant? I do want to say that my nine-year-old is a massive Swifty. So by extension, I've had to listen to the whole catalog of Taylor Swift music, and I'm here to say, as an old person, it's great. It's a good inroad to other music. Like, there's a song by Taylor Swift called Antihero. It's a great way to introduce the cure to your children. So if your kid likes Taylor Swift, they're ready for the cure. How's that? How much Uh, time left? 220. 220. Drop another bomb. Okay. Um, well, also in the in the Taylor Swift wheelhouse, it's a good way if you aren't already playing Carol King's Tapestry for your children and they like Taylor Swift, play them Carol King's Tapestry. Um, and you know, in terms of like uh, exciting things, like I ended up with uh, when my parents sold their house, I ended up with their record collection. So I have like my childhood record collection. Oh, Phil Oaks. Listen to Phil Oaks records here. You know who he is? The old folk musician. Yeah, Phil Oaks. O C H S. OCHS, um, I ain't marching anymore. I played, I played that for my kids. I, I grew up listening to my parents' records. I knew the words to draft Dodger Rag starting at age 12. So uh, do terrible things like that to your, to your family. You've got 90 <laughs> seconds left. 90 seconds left. And I, everything that I can squeeze out of you is gold. Okay. Uh, and chicken. So you want to start with two. And it's sort of, they call it a uh, chicken mess. Once you have two, you're going to end up with four, and then you'll end up with 20 someday. And it's worth it. Get two chickens to start with because they need a friend. How often do you eat eggs that were that your chickens gave you? Uh, every other day. We more often give them away. We, 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 if we ever meet you, we'll hand you a dozen eggs free of charge. Can you get tax abatements as being a farm based on your chickens and eggs? No, no, no. We're just, it's just my yard is half chicken run and the other half is garden and children debris. <laughs> Nerf darts. This has been an absolutely incredible conversation. Um, if you're down, what we do these days is we say goodbye to the people on the free feed and then we got a little subscription service where I'll ask you five random questions if you're into it. Does that sound cool? Uh, that sounds fine. Let me just look at the old wristwatch. Yes, I've got, I've got the time because I do have to run to Target before I pick up the kids from school, but I've got time. Okay. We're going to say goodbye to everybody on the free feed. For everybody who's signed up at BeautifulAnonymous.com, thanks so much for signing up. Just keep it rolling. We'll hear our five questions. For everybody else, goodbye from this really fascinating call. 
And caller, thank you so much. Thank you. Caller, thank you so much for calling and being open and being unpredictable and funny and also talking about some stark realities of life and also just honestly for owning some weird roosters, man. Thanks for that, too. Thanks to our producer, the High Priestess, Andrea Quint. Thanks to Shell Shag for the theme music. ChrisGeth.com if you want to know more about me, including tour dates, which is a live taping in Idaho coming up, which is Vancouver, Canada, which is another benefit show for mental health in schools in Brooklyn on March 1st. It's a good list out there. Tickets for all of those at ChrisGeth.com. Hey, our voicemail line is at 973-306-4676. If you have a call and you feel like it needs to be heard on the show, we are down accepting voicemails at all time. Uh, I let the cat out of the bag on this recently. We have a caller in Israel who wants to talk about Israel. And I want this show to reflect modern times. I'm hoping that maybe someone who's Palestinian or has Palestinian roots wants to call as well. Because I've actually talked with the Israeli caller and made it clear I'm not trying to play any games, but this is a show with human stories and everything happening in that part of the world right now is so dark and so intense that I feel like those stories should be told in quick succession with each other to make sure that this show is the best it can be. That's my instinct, sticking with it. Not that I want to dictate what anyone says, but I just want to make sure there's such a clear dividing line. I want to make sure we have perspectives from both sides of the line. And I don't presume to know what those perspectives might be. We also have an Instagram out there. It's Beautiful Anonymous Pod. Andrea does an incredible job on it. Follow it. Check it out. You can follow that if you want to know when calls are happening. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris Gethard. Thanks, everybody. This week on Beautiful Anonymous Plus, here's some of what you'll get from the five questions. Now, we've landed on a question that has come up before, and it hasn't always had a lot of weight to it, but with you, I feel like it's actually a question that, now that I've heard enough about your background, this one might be a tough question to answer, but I'm fascinated. It has landed on a question asking... Um, who is a person you feel really saw you when you were young? Oh my God. I have the answer right away. Oh, cause I, I thought it sounds, it sounds to me like nobody did and that you fell into a system. I, are you ready, Chris? I am such a good little pack rat. I'm I'm walking to the back of the house to find my fifth grade yearbook. And it was, um, it was my fifth grade art teacher. And she saw how everyone bullied me and and she saw that I never didn't like the work that I made, but she was so encouraging. Her name was Mrs. Irwin. She was a saint. And I've got my fifth grade yearbook. Do you want to read what she wrote in a fifth grader's yearbook? A fifth grader who, by the way, got paddled by the principal because that was illegal back then. Do you want to hear what she wrote in my fifth grade yearbook? I have to know. Don't forget to sign up for Beautiful Anonymous Plus at beautifulanonymous.com.